Hey everyone, this is Jim, and you're listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. share a few thoughts with you about fighting the good fight of faith. Uh, before I do, though, I want to share just a few thoughts with you to lay a foundation for this. If you um, have a Bible or you're online, you can look up uh, the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. This is the King James Version, and I'm going to go down to verse number um, 27. And it says, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the town of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So it says in the beginning there that Jesus went out and his disciples. So I actually imagine them walking down a, a dirt road or a path of some kind, uh, walking together. And you can imagine that, you know, sometimes people are talkative and sometimes they're not. Uh, sometimes people are just thinking to themselves, especially during a trip. Uh, if you've ever gone for a walk, it's a it's a good time for thinking, gathering your thoughts and getting them together. So I, in my own mind, I see it as that type of a setting. And then suddenly Jesus breaks the silence and turns and says to the group, who do men say that I am? So there's 12 people walking, right? There's 12 apostles. The first uh, original disciples. And it says, and they answered, John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. So they're basically just answering a question. Who do men say that I am? What do other people say about me? And this was their response. So, you know, John the Baptist had already uh, been beheaded at that point. Um, Elias, or one of the other prophets, or Elijah, this is, I'm reading from the King James Version, uh, they had already gone on to the other side, to the other world. And uh, so they're, they're basically saying that he's one of these people coming back. And he said to them, but whom say ye that I am? In other words, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, in other words, he just, this is a reflexive answer. Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man. Isn't that interesting? Because a charge is, don't tell anyone this. Now, if you would look at other, other verses that basically say the same thing, we get a, a, a different picture of one event from a different standpoint. Let's take a quick look at one more scripture to go along this line. Matthew chapter 16. So now here we see, again, the question is asked, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. So see, it doesn't 
include Jeremiah in Mark's account of it, but it gives extra detail. So somebody might say, well, which one of these is true? Well, they're both true. It's kind of like saying, uh, well, today I went to the store, I bought two bags of potato chips and one bag of pretzels. And I could tell somebody that, and that would be the truth. I also bought two mineral waters. So somebody else asked me, I might say, I went to the store, I bought two bags of or two bags of pretzels or one bag of potato chips and two mineral waters. You know, to counter the <laughs> the chips. So somebody say, Well, which account's true? One has to be false and the other's true. No, one just gives more detail. It's like somebody asking you what you did with your day. You know, in one account, the person remembering what you said may just focus on one aspect of your day. The other person may give more details of your day. But I doubt that there's any person that would give every single detail of every single thing you did in the day from the moment you got out of bed to the moment you climbed back into it. Right? So somebody asks, and because the idea isn't a, a verbatim video account. The idea is there's a truth here that they're trying to get across, and this is what it is. So in the 15th verse, he said, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So what does flesh and blood mean? In other words, it's not the natural human insight that has revealed to you this, but God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but my Father which is in heaven. So if you compare these two verses together, what do you get? You get Jesus telling Simon that he's right. That's who he is. You get Jesus telling Simon that it's not his natural intellect that discovered this. It wasn't his detective work that discovered it. It was God's Spirit revealing it to him, and that's why he said, Blessed art thou. Right? Because what is grace? Grace is unearned favor. If I can sit down and I can study my way to salvation in my own human effort, well, then I, I have something to be proud of. I, I've succeeded. Right? But if flesh and blood can't reveal this simple truth to you, then what else could it reveal to you? In other words, what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. It's not of works, lest any man boast. And then he told, he charged him not to tell anyone. Because the, the, the secret is here, is that it's not our natural understanding that gets us the victory. It's our connection with the Spirit of God that does it. It's God reaching out to us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. In other words, God initiates the prophet, the process, we receive he gives first, we receive second. Can you see how that works? So now, bring this over and, and think about some of the human relationships that you've had. Think about, think about some of the people that you've had the best relationship with. Think about the people right now that you have a really good relationship with, that you're close to, that you've known for years. Now, I want you to suddenly imagine that there's a knock on your door. You go to the door and the police is there. 
and you're kind of alarmed because, you know, the police normally don't knock on your door unless something's wrong. You ask what's wrong, and they tell you, um, do you know so-and-so? Are you related to so-and-so? Let's say it's somebody you're related to. And you say, yeah, why? And they say to you, we just arrested them. Now, it could be one person. It could be a couple. doesn't matter. It's just I'm, I'm using this as an example, somebody you're really close with, somebody that you love, somebody that you'd be willing to lay your life down for. And they said to you, they've just been arrested for and charged with murder, and we would like to get a statement from you. We would like you to come down to the station. We would like you to answer some questions. Now, I, I just thought of, of two people who fit that description in my life. And if if that police officer made that statement to me, I would probably laugh and I, I would say, you've got to be kidding. There's no way that these people would do that. Well, no, we have an eyewitness. What my first thought would be, if they had an eyewitness, the eyewitness lied. Think about that. Think about somebody that you love, or even two people, even a couple, and they're suddenly accused of a heinous crime, what would your reaction be? Your reaction wouldn't be, oh my God, they were such nice people. No, you only think that about people you don't know. If you don't know them, then, but if you know somebody, you know whether they have that in them or not. If you don't know them, you're not sure. Or let's put it this way, if you don't know them well, maybe you only know them on the surface. See, historically, when certain people who've committed heinous crimes, serial killer type personalities, when they've been arrested, what do the neighbors say? Oh, they were nice people. It's hard to believe that they did that, but they kept to themselves. They say that a lot. They kept to themselves. In other words, they didn't let people get too close. It was just a surface type thing. So I'm not talking about people that you know that fit that description. I'm talking about people that you know well, people who are there for you when you need them, people that you've had dinner with on countless occasions, people that you shared your heart with them. People have shared their heart with you. People that, I mean, there's even an unspoken connection that goes between the two of you that runs deep. If they were accused of a terrible crime, the first response would be, there's no way they did that. I don't care what you say. I don't care who the eyewitnesses were. Let me get down to the facts and I'll, you know, and you would come to their defense. Well, when I see Jesus in the New Testament, that's how I, I think of God. When people accuse God of doing things, doing evil things, then they don't either that you know we can technically say they don't believe the word of god you know we can we can point to scriptures technically like the book of james which says every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the above from the father of lights with whom there is no variance neither shadow of turning and we can we can say that we could say jesus said if you see me you've seen the father i've never seen jesus do harm to anybody i've never seen him do that I've seen him forgiving. This is a, an age of forgiveness that we're in. But yeah, somehow we make a distinction that, yeah, we've seen Jesus, but really haven't seen the Father. We think sometimes of the Father being this harsh, judgmental individual, casting people into uh, hell and the lake of fire and judgment, right? So judgment, and here's the thing, judgment isn't evil. Judgment is righteous. The, what the Bible calls righteous judgment not unrighteous judgment not judging by the surface but judging men by their hearts 
The Bible says in the, in the end, the secrets of man's hearts will be revealed. And it's not the thing that come out, the things that go into a man that defiles him, but the things that come out of the heart. And so we, looking at the story of like the prodigal son, we can see that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. And unless we're provided with a clean set of clothes, and you can look at that story as an example, unless the ring is put on our finger, um, then we can't clean ourselves up. So I want you to make a determination that where is your belief system going to lay? Is it going to lay in the Old Testament? Is it, or is it going to be in the New Testament, a better covenant established upon better promises? Are you going to identify with judgment? Or are you going to connect with the fact that judgment came upon Jesus in your place, that he took your place? You understand what I'm saying about that? Are you going to focus on the fact that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Or are you going to be one of those people who says, well, yes, it's impossible that we can lose our salvation and take your eyes off of grace and put it back on works again? Because the two things exist side by side, but they never intersect with one another. On one side, you have the Bible saying that the books will be open and men will be judged by their works. And we have on the other side that our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life and that he accounts for us. And so you have those two truths simultaneously. So which one are you going to embrace? Which one are you going to walk in? Think about this. When you leave your house today, you have a choice. You can do whatever you want to do. You can choose to commit a, a crime. And within the next several hours, you'll find yourself in the local lockup. And then if you're not bailed out, you'll find yourself before a judge in X amount of weeks. And then there'll be an initial hearing. And you know how the whole process works. And it was your choice that got you there. See, there are prisons all over the place. They're filled with people. And all things being equal, it was their choices that got them there. Yeah, I know sometimes people are accused unjustly, imprisoned unjustly. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the power of choice, your ability to choose. So you can choose to walk in works or you can choose to walk in grace. Both will continue to exist side by side. You could choose to focus on the goodness of God that is freely available to you, the grace of God. And you can choose to embrace the truths like where, where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Because the time we're in is, is what the Bible calls the last days, the last era in, in other translations, the last time. And in this time, God chose to reveal his son to man. And so it's no different than it's a shadow, not a shadow, but uh, Noah, who was a shadow of things to come. Jesus is like our ark. Right? So we can ignore the ark. But the ark was there when the rains fell. And the ark remained there as the water began to gather together. Right? So you can go into the ark, or you can see it stand and watch the ark from the outside. I mean, those are those are your basic choices. You can go inside and you can be in a safe place while all hell breaks loose and all destruction on the outside. And that's your choice to make. It's not like a coin toss. You know? Or, or 
have you ever played darts? Darts is really frustrating because you 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 have the dart in your hand, you see the board, you see the bullseye, and to maybe the best of your ability, you throw it, and you're sure you've done your best, and and you you fall way short of the mark. Right. So faith isn't like that. Faith is like Jesus takes the dart out of your hand and makes the bullseye for you. Right. So the times that we need it most in this life, I'm just losing darts as an example. I had a dartboard when I was a kid. I just happened to think about it. You can throw a hundred darts and never hit the bullseye, maybe get it a few times. That's kind of like life. We do our own thing. Sometimes we come closer to the mark than others. But when it really counts, we need a more sure aim than we have. We need, we need a more sure ability. And that's when Jesus offers to step in and do it instead of us. Right, so we can walk this walk, but when all said and done, our our natural efforts are so far beyond what they needed to be that Jesus himself had to step in and walk it for us. And then say, credit these credit this to my account. Think about that. A rich person sees what you need and says, give them what they need. If they need new clothes, provide it for them. If they need a new home or a new roof on their home, provide that for them. If they need new transportation, a new automobile, provide that for them. If they need their credit cards paid off, provide that for them. Do it. Total it up. Send it to me. I'll take care of it. And what, what can you add to that? Only Thanksgiving. You can only be thankful for it. There's nothing else you can add to it. So that's what Jesus does for us. And because we can't see him, because we can't see God, because we can't see angels, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about visions and dreams and things like that aside. But in our normal day-to-day -day mundane life, right, we don't see anything. So our choice is we can either believe it or doubt it. Right? I guess if we lived back pre-flood, we would have heard the story of Noah building an ark because it was going to rain. And we, had a, we could have had a choice to either believe it or doubt it. Now imagine that you believe it and you decide to make the trek there because you want more information about it. When is this flood supposed to happen? What are the signs of its coming? And you got there and you actually met the man, you met the family, and he tells you when it's coming. And so you think, you know what? We better relocate my aunts, my uncles, all the people who are willing in this area because we need to be near this source because God spoke through him. God spoke to him. And this is an evil day that we're living in. And this is the only way of escape. God's only provided one way, this ark. So I'm sure there's other people that, that said, hey, if it ever did rain, all we would have to do is get to this mountain and, you know, Surely the waters couldn't come that high. You know you know how it goes. And so, anyway, so what does this come down to? We have to fight the good fight of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. When you walk by sight, your, your senses are continuously assailed with negativity, with doom and gloom, with a sense of loss. If you walk by faith, if you look at God's word and in your heart, you just lay hold of the good things. Let me tell you something. Just this last uh, two weeks ago, 
uh, a friend of mine was going for an operation, and I remember the family saying that, um, you know, it could be very serious, they could be down for a while, and you could see they were worried, but they were fighting to stay positive. It would have been easier to say that, well, when they get in there, it, it, there's a good chance, according to the symptoms, that it may be cancerous. And if it's cancerous, then she probably doesn't have too long to live or it's, what follows is it's going to be terrible. I mean, all these thoughts, these thoughts are easy to embrace. People do it all the time. The entire headlines are filled with negativity that people em embrace day after day after day, and that becomes their reality. But there's two realities side by side. It's not just the devil and what he's doing. There is a God who's greater than the evil that we see around us. He also is invisible, but but he he's giving you these tools. He's giving you these truths that you can plug in. For example, Matthew 7, 7 says, that, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door shall be open to you. Now, because we don't see it, right away we're forced to walk and live by faith we're forced to trust god based on what he said not based on what we see because what we see seems to point to the fact that he's not working he's not present there's no power there's only these natural tools that we have to work with and we're not quite sure if they're up for the task when you start thinking that way you start getting fearful discouragement sets in and it's according to your faith, it's done unto you. Timothy was told this by Paul the Apostle. Timothy was a, a, a young believer. He was kind of following Paul, learning, because he had his, a ministry that God, he had a calling on his life. Everybody has a calling on their life, every, every person who believes to, to do something. They have an assignment. That's why we're here. If your assignment's over, there's no reason for you to be here. Our reason isn't just to... to suck up oxygen our our reason is to be a light in in the world to be a city on the hill to be the salt of the earth to be something good we're here to do good things when we do good things the bible says god's glorified well anyway paul told him fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life well how do you lay hold on something well we'll think 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 about this for a minute if the wind is blowing and I tell you, hey, go out in the yard and lay hold of those chairs, what am I telling you? I'm telling you to latch on to them and don't let them go. Lay hold, he says, on eternal life and fight the good fight. of Why is fight a faith? Because in order to have a fight, you have to have an opponent. And all things being equal, fights can be painful. I mean – whether you're throwing punches or whether you're wrestling on the ground, it's you pitting your strength against somebody else. They are pitting their strength against you. And in this case, in this earth that we're living in, it's the Bible says we don't wrestle or we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we fight against evil spiritual forces and we wrestle against them. Well, where do we wrestle? We're not literally on the ground wrestling, right? But we wrestle in our hearts and we wrestle in our minds. Right? We, we, we wrestle with different temptations. 
we, we were, we're tempted to doubt, we're tempted to fear, we're tempted to give up. And sometimes people give in to them to those temptations and they do exactly that. They're afraid. And it's kind of like when you do that, it's like turning off the light. You know, God has given you a light switch and he said, turn it on. Just turn on the light and the darkness will disappear. Right? But if we do what we know to do and the darkness is still there, then we become tempted to doubt. Right? And then it goes back to our relationship. See, God has to reveal himself to you that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's not a matter of just taking these scriptures and by force of will believing them. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher, finisher of our faith. The Bible says that Abraham grew strong in faith. Listen to this. This is Romans 4.20. This is the Amplified Bible. It says, but he, talking about Abraham, did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God. Think about kids. Did you ever see a, a, a child, but then you don't see him for like a year or two years? Or you see him later and it's, you're amazed at how fast he grew. Or you see a teenager that's like 12 years old and then you look at them like a few years later and, and it's like, wow, they're, they look like they're a young man and woman now. That transition happens. They grew, in other words. But there comes a point when you stop growing and you're fully developed. The Bible talks about faith like that. It talks about it like a seed. We plant the seed, it grows its roots, and then the shoots come up. But at the end, when it's fully grown, it produces the full ear and the corn in the ear. It has everything that you need in it. But see, it takes time. Oftentimes, it's not immediate. From the time you put the seed in the ground to the time it grows. Children, how long did it take, does it take for a human being to grow? 17 years before they're an adult, or 18, I guess, legally, if you want to look at it that way, before they're fully developed, physically speaking. Faith is another thing that grows. See, when you start out, it's like being in school. You start out and you learn some facts, but they're not everything, right? You, Abraham grew strong in faith. Sarah grew strong in faith. Together, they became the father and mother of many nations. God made a promise to him. He is the example of faith. But he grew strong. He just didn't become strong at the snap of a finger. He laid hold in his heart on what God told him, and he grew strong. So some of us have been praying about certain things for years, and we lay hold of them. We don't want to let them go, because if you let them go, and you just go through the motions, then your heart is no longer in it. In your heart, whatever it is that you pray for, you can't let it go. And because you're human, there are going to be certain days that you're holding on a lot tighter than others. Some days that you get up, you just feel terrible. Maybe you feel emotionally terrible and physically terrible for, what, for whatever reason. And you hear a lot of bad news, and it just assaults your senses, and your whole demeanor drops. When that happens, you have to turn to God, and, and you need a refilling. Now think about something. You turn on the water, and it fills an empty cup, or it fills an empty um, pitcher. 
It doesn't get filled right away. It gradually fills up, all things being equal. It's not like you're turning on a fire hose. You're turning on the faucet. You plant something in the backyard. It doesn't grow right away, right? You have to water it. It takes root. The roots go deep. And that's why the Bible says, follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's things that you've been praying for, but you haven't grown up into it yet. You haven't hit the time of harvest yet. That thing is still developing, so to speak. It's there. It's just not there in such a way that you can stick in the sickle and, and, and enjoy the harvest of it. Right? So if you have a field of corn and, and the stalks have grown and the corn is in there, but the corn's still small. It hasn't fully developed yet. That's what it's like with our prayers. It's just like that. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit can come in and just perform an instant miracle by the grace of God, by the favor of God. But most of the time, God wants you to follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises because that's how you grow stronger. You go stronger by facing an opponent and by fighting and wrestling until you either pin them or knock them out. Right? Championship boxing matches, sometimes it's over with a single punch. I've seen it happen before. Other times it stretches into the championship rounds. You don't know how long this test is, and, and you can't look at it like God is holding something back. Rather look at it like you don't understand everything, and there's a positive benefit from fighting and winning the good fight of faith. All you have to do is believe today. That's all you have to do. All you have to do is lay hold of what you prayed for in your heart today, one day at a time. Hold on tight to it today. When tomorrow begins, you hold on tight to it tomorrow. You don't start thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to hold on tight another six or seven months or another six or seven years. Once you start thinking like that, is there something I'm doing that's holding it up? Once you start believing there's a problem, then your mind will just bog you down to the point where this whole topic will be miserable to you. The whole idea and concept of faith and prayer and believing, it will just seem so far away and so distant. Instead, look at Jesus. He was always giving. He was never withholding. Start applying some patience. You're not dead yet. Yeah, I could see that, you know, if, 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 you, were, if you were dead... And you were believing that you weren't going to be dead and suddenly you're in heaven. Maybe then you would say, well, God, what happened? <laughs> you know, what went wrong? But you listen to testimony after testimony. You can find them online. You can hear them on television of people who've experienced mighty miracles of God. But those miracles didn't show up until suddenly. It's another – other scriptures put it like this. The kingdom of heaven doesn't come with observation. But it's within you. Don't look there and here and there and say, oh, here's the Spirit of God, there's the Spirit of God. In other words, these things happen suddenly. They don't come with outward visible observation. If they did, faith wouldn't be such a fight. We could say, hey, look, there's an angel way in the distance carrying a package. Here, hand me those binoculars. Oh, yeah, my name's on it. That's my package. Oh, now we, I don't have to worry. He'll be here. You look at your watch. Oh, I'm gauging on the distance. I would say he'd be here in about an hour at, this, at the rate of speed that he's moving at. Right? And the devil's not so big 
that he's going to assign like 10, 10 fallen spirits to keep that angel from bringing you your answer. Don't forget, when the, in, the, in the book of Revelation, it shows that the, the dragon used his tail to pull one-third of the stars out of the heavens that fell and were cast down to the earth. There's more, more on God's side than on the devil's side. There's a greater number for us than are against us. And greater is he that's for us than he that's against us. So it's not imagine, imagination or it's not a matter of the, the system breaking down. You know, on earth, sometimes systems break down, and they break down at the most inopportune times. Well, you can count on God. He's not going to break down. He already sees all the obstacles long before they ever come into your view, and he's already made a provision for that. He's not withholding things trying to teach you something. You're going to learn patience, or you're going to fail the test of patience. That's what it comes down to, because a lot of things won't happen immediately. Your faith will be tested. The Bible calls Satan the tester or the tempter. It means the same thing, not God. The only thing that God tests is your heart. When the devil puts the temptation at you, God looks at your heart to see where it's at. All right, well, that's it for now. Let me leave you with this final scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight for glory. That works for us. Think about that. When somebody works for you, what's happening? It's They're putting in an effort on your behalf. So it works for us. This affliction that's meant to destroy us is actually helping us while we look at the things which are not seen. Let me read that again. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look at the things, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Right? All of this works. The prayer works. Fighting the good fight of faith works. Trusting God works. Believing in the name of Jesus works while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. We look at the things which are not seen by faith. We lay hold by faith. We do it with our heart, not just our head. Sometimes our head is somewhere else. But when you really stop, slow down, and look at where your heart is in, you can know. You can make that adjustment. You can lay hold on something that you've let go of. You can hold on to it again. All you have to do is do it one day at a time, and this will work as long as you're not looking at the things that you're seeing. Because once you start looking at the things that you're seeing, you're going to feel afraid. You're going to sense discouragement and all those negative emotions. It's like first there's a drip. Then there's a steady stream. Then the whole thing breaks open at worst. And you give up. But as long as you don't give up, you're, you're doing what? You're fighting. You're either fighting or you're giving up, right? So lay hold again. Trust Trust in the name of Jesus. Trust in the goodness of God. Trust in the love of God. Just like you would trust in that one person who if they were accused of some heinous crime, 
your initial reaction would be, no way. There's no way God has brought this on me. There's no way God is doing this to me. There's no way God is withholding from me. No way. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care who the eyewitnesses are. There's no way you're going to convince me that God has anything to do with this negativity, with this problem, with our money problems, with our house problems, with our financial problems. There's no way you're going to tell me that God ordained any of this. This is the tempter. He only comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come life that you might have it and have it more abundantly. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. It was great being here, having this talk. I'm happy. I hope you're happy. Um, that's it for this week. I will see you again next week. Have a great week. Keep on looking at the things that are not seen. Keep on looking at them by faith. Keep on keeping on. Until then, this is Jim. God bless.